I invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me for our scripture reading for our sermon text today. We continue our series this summer in Matthew chapter 10, the Sermon on the Mission. And today we continue with verses 26 through 33. Matthew 10, 26 to 33. is God's holy word for us, his people today. Jesus says, so have no fear of them, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light, and what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops, and do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore. You are of more value than many sparrows. So everyone who acknowledges me before men... I also will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. These are the holy words of Jesus, and this is God's word for us today. Let's ask Him to bless our time in His word. Father, we thank You for the gift of Scripture, and we ask that You would open our eyes and ears and hearts to listen to the voice of the Master, to hear the voice of the shepherd, and to make us his sheep who hear his voice and who run to follow him. Give us faith to believe and give us eagerness and joy to obey and to apply and put into practice in our lives the things that you teach us today in your word. We'll give you the thanks and glory in Jesus' name. Amen. So, the last two Sundays, last two weeks, we did a part one and a part two of the previous section of chapter 10. And that, both of those were called, both of those sermons were titled, The Menace of the Mission. And I'm trying to get at the idea that discipleship is fraught with dangers, that kingdom mission comes with opposition, that there's a real enemy of the kingdom because there's an opposing kingdom, a kingdom of darkness spread abroad in the land that does not want the kingdom of light to advance. So there is this kind of spiritual warfare. And I don't mean the kind of spiritual warfare where you think you have to go around your house and anoint stuff with holy water and cast out the devil from, from, the, from the cupboard. I'm not talking about that kind of individual sort of you against the demons kind of warfare. That's not at all what we're talking about. We're talking about kingdoms, cosmic stuff, heaven and earth stuff that's way bigger than you or me. The menace of the mission is when the church goes on its mission, she will face enemies and she will face oppositions. We saw this at length in verses 16 through 25. In those verses, Jesus says, we will be sheep in the midst of wolves. 
will be arrested, jailed, punished, convicted, falsely accused, condemned. Family members and friends will turn against you. You'll be maligned. You'll be mistreated. You'll be hated by all for following Christ. Very encouraging message the last two Sundays. Who still wants to be a disciple? (laughs) Who still wants to be on this mission? Sounds fun and easy. Who still wants to labor in the Lord's harvest when there's wolves around every corner? Now, obviously, the point of the last two weeks and the point of that quick summary isn't to say that life as a Christian or life as a disciple or being on mission with Jesus, doing this kingdom thing, laboring in the Lord's harvest, it doesn't mean that you as an individual will always constantly nonstop face all these negative bad things. You know that because there have been days in your life when you haven't faced any of this. So it obviously doesn't mean every single individual will constantly face this kind of trouble because it's not about us as individuals so much as it is about the church and the kingdom. And since the kingdom and the church are, you know, consist of individuals, many of us will face some of this stuff, some more, some less. All of us, to at least a little degree, will face some of this. It's about the church It's about the kingdom. It's about an opposing kingdom. It's about enemies. It's a dangerous mission. It's a difficult mission. And the lesson isn't to expect this kind of treatment or opposition or suffering every single day. The point is, the lesson is, expect the enemy to oppose the church. Just go ahead and expect it. File it away that when opposition happens to the church, it's not a fluke or a surprise. Jesus told us this. 2,000 years ago. Expect the enemy to oppose the church. And as an individual, don't be surprised when the world wants the church to disappear. And that means they want you to go away. Don't be shocked when an unbelieving, lost, God-opposing world opposes the kingdom or the church or the gospel or the mission. These things are part of the expectation we should have. Jesus even says in verses 16 and 17, Behold, I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Pay attention. Look, check this out. This is what I'm doing. I'm sending you out among these wolves. Verse 17, Beware of men. Beware. Look out. Prepare yourself. Beware and be aware. Prepare yourself for the mission to be difficult and for the church to experience enemies and opposition. That's what we looked at the last two weeks. In our passage this morning, Jesus moves into the next section of the sermon. Now, he's told the twelve in verses 16 through 25, the previous section, he's told the twelve about the menace of the mission, and now... In this section we begin this morning, he tells them how to maintain the mission despite the menace in the face of the opposition. How do you maintain this mission when this is what you're going to be facing? How does the church keep going when this is the nature of the hostility and the opposition the church faces? That's the question. Jesus understands that's the next point that needs to be made. And so he transitions into that in our passage 
today, how to maintain the mission. Now, he said in verse 22, he says, You will be hated by all for my name's sake, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. You're going to be hated by all because you're a Christian, but the one who endures to the end is the one who's going to be saved. And now he's going to tell us how we do that. How do we endure to the end when we're hated by all? Jesus understands because he knows us so well. He understands that his 12 that he handpicked at the beginning of the chapter, his 12 and us as well, we will be tempted to give in to fear in the face of fearful odds. And we will be tempted to abandon this mission. To say, look, we started, we tried, we gave it a good go. It's too difficult, it's too hard, it's too dark, it's too fearful. We can't do it. To be like the to be like 10 of the 12 spies who went into the land of Canaan and saw the giants all around and were like, look, we had a good run in the wilderness, but we're not going to get into the promised land. We, they're too big, we're too small. We're like little grasshoppers, they're all Goliath, and we can't do it. And Joshua and Caleb are the two holdouts who said, no, the Lord, the, did you see the 10 plagues in Egypt? We can do it. And they're like, no, I don't think so. Jesus knows that very, very few of us are, the, are Joshua and Caleb. Most of us are the ten who are like, nope, we can't do it. And so Jesus wants to encourage us today. And he wanted to encourage the twelve in, when he first gave this sermon. He wants to tell us how to maintain the mission and not give in to the temptation to fear and abandonment. And in this passage, Jesus tells us three times, do not fear. And in the middle, he tells us one time that there's something we should fear. And that's the lesson today. Learning what to fear and what not to fear is the key to maintaining the mission and enduring to the end. So let's begin with the first. The first thing Jesus says about what not to fear and I want you to notice at the beginning of the passage the amazing way Jesus connects what he's about to say with what he just got finished saying. He says, verse 26, or actually let's back up so you can feel it. All right, verse 24, a disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebul, like prince of demons, if they're called Jesus that, how much more will they malign you, those of his household? So, don't be afraid. Makes perfect sense, doesn't it? Sheep among wolves, you're going to be arrested, condemned, family members are going to try to kill you, you're going to be hated by everybody, so don't worry about it. That's the logic. Or is it illogic? What's he talking What? That's not what you should expect. You should be surprised. Jesus should get your attention when he does things like that, to think, wait, he's, my logic doesn't match Jesus's, <laughs> so maybe I need to correct my thinking. I need to get on board with the way Jesus is thinking. He says, 
in the face of this menace of the mission, verses 16 to 25, he says, So, have no fear of them. All this opposition is headed your way, so therefore don't be afraid. Amazing. Now, this is the balancing statement. Verse 26 is the other side of what he said in verse 17. He said in verse 17, Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues. And he keeps going. Beware of men. But now the flip side, the other half, the other shoe drops, don't be afraid of them. And that tells you that beware of them doesn't mean cower and fear before them. Be scared of them. Beware just means be aware. Know that it's coming. Don't be taken off guard. Don't be naive. Don't think, well, why do people not like Jesus? <laughs> Don't be shocked. Be aware. Prepare yourself. Be on the lookout for it. But don't be afraid of it. This is David, right? This is Psalm 23. This is textbook Psalm 23. David had every reason to be terrified. Yea, though I go through the, I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Now, in that poem, he's a sheep. The Lord is my shepherd. He's a sheep, and he's walking through a dark valley in the midst of wolves where there are threats everywhere, and the dark shadows are being cast across the valley where he's walking. The shadow of death is on his trail, but I will fear no evil. He doesn't mean there's no evil to fear. There's plenty of stuff to be afraid of, but he's not afraid of it. Why? Because the Lord's rod and staff comfort him. Okay, this is David who has lots of things to, to cause him to be afraid, but doesn't give in to the fear. This is Jesus saying, do not be afraid, even though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Do not fear. So what's the connection between verse 25... Being like your master. And verse 26, don't be afraid. Because the word so connects what just came before with what he's saying now. So what's the connection? I think the connection is this. In verse 25, he says, It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. It's enough for you to be like your master, to be like Jesus. If they treated me this way, they're going to treat you this way. Good news, you're going to be like me. So don't be afraid. I think that's what's happening. And I think, I think we get help from Paul to see this connection. In Philippians chapter 3, Paul has this amazing section where he's talking about being found righteous in Christ and being united to Christ. And in the midst of this discussion, Paul says in Philippians 3, 10 and 11, he says he wants to know Jesus... He wants to be connected to Jesus so that, verse 10, so that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Isn't that interesting? Isn't that why you became a Christian? So you could know what it's like to suffer like Jesus did? Wasn't that what got you to the altar that time? You first prayed that prayer and did that thing that made you a Christian? Right? 
I want to know him and I want to know the power of his resurrection and I want to share his sufferings and be like him in his death so that I can be like him in his life and in his resurrection. You see, union with Jesus doesn't just come with the good, quote-unquote good stuff, the righteousness and the eternal life and all that. You get the whole Christ. You get to share in his sufferings and his resurrection. You don't get raised unless you die. There's no resurrection without death. And so Jesus here is saying, you're going to be like me. You're going, to be, you're going to be conformed to my image and likeness. You're going to know the depth of what it means to really be united to me. Both in my sufferings, in my bitter passion and death. But good news is coming. You're not just going to be like me in my sufferings as you suffer like I did in this world on this mission. You're also going to know me in my resurrection power. This is why Paul would say in 2 Corinthians that he boasts, he brags about how weak he is so that in his weakness the power of God can be evident. It's the power of Jesus in him that's sufficient for him. The grace of Christ is sufficient for him. Paul wants to be like Jesus, and he wants to be like Jesus in every way. And I think this is what Jesus is thinking in this connection here. You're going to be like me, and it's going to be enough for you. Jesus is going to be your satisfying portion so that come what may, you know you're going to be like him. You know you're going to attain to the resurrection like him. You know that God has you and will keep you. So there's no reason to be afraid because you're going to be like Christ. And if he lives, you'll live. If he triumphed, you'll triumph. His victory is your victory. So have no fear of them. Do not be afraid. And then in verse 26, Jesus gives a follow-up explanation. He says, Have no fear of them, because for nothing is covered that will not be revealed, or hidden that will not be known. Now, all throughout chapter 10, Jesus has been hinting, pointing, and touching on the topic of eschatology. Everybody's favorite topic eschatology, end times stuff, the last things. He's already talked about the coming of the Son of Man and the judgment of cities that are going to be worse than Sodom and Gomorrah. And here he says, nothing is hidden that will not be made known. You might get persecuted. They might condemn you. They might persecute you. They might say all kinds of evil things against you falsely on account of being a Christian. But there's nothing that's hidden that won't be Revealed. All that stuff's going to come to light. God is going to set the record straight in the end. That's what Jesus is pointing to. God will set the record straight for you at the end so that his people will be vindicated and those who persecuted them will be brought low and everything will be right in God's renewed world. And so we see once again that eschatology drives discipleship. Knowing where we're headed affects where we're going now. Knowing where we need to end up determines what direction we're going now. Eschatology drives discipleship. Eschatology, knowing the end time results 
of what happens when the Son of Man returns, what happens when the final judgment happens, what happens when God sets the record straight, what happens on the day of resurrection, what happens on that last day drives us forward in how we enjoy our faith and live out our faith now and how we face opposition to that faith now. It takes away fear and it gives us courage to maintain the mission. And then Jesus says in verse 27, What I tell you in the dark, say in the light. And what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. All this opposition is going to come, so don't keep quiet. Don't whisper about it. Don't keep it to yourself. Shout it from the rooftops. Do not be afraid. What I have whispered in your ear, what you are learning as a disciple of Jesus, share it loud and proud. Be bold, be vocal, stand up, stand out, and stand strong and stand firm. Jesus wants you to be a fearless witness, Christian. Be a fearless witness for Him. Proclaim your love for Jesus, your faith in Scripture, your dedication to God, your obedient life. Proclaim it from the housetops and don't shy away from it and don't be embarrassed by it. Jesus wants you to be a fearless witness. Because you're going to be like Him. And that's going to be enough for you. Yes, they'll oppose it. Yes, they won't like it. Yes, they'll want you to hush and sit down and go away. So, do not be afraid of them. Conformity to Christ through opposition. Conformity to Christ being like Him through affliction. It sweetens our sufferings. And confidence in His return and the vindication of the final day calms our fears. So look to Christ. Look to His return. Look to that last day when He judges for you and not against you and be a fearless witness. Jesus now, moving forward in verse 28, repeats this admonition to fear not. He said, do not be afraid in verse 26. That's number one. He says it three times. The second time comes in verse 28. He says, do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. He repeats the admonition not to fear, and he focuses specifically on a particular kind of fear, the fear of violence and the fear of death. Do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot, are not able, don't have the ability, capacity, or power to kill your soul. Once again, Jesus points us to eschatology, to end-time reality, as a reason not to fear human beings. And then at the second half of verse 28, he tells us the one thing we should fear. Look at verse 28 again. Do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Jesus tells us something very important here. Nothing that another person does to you can touch or harm your soul. 
Nothing that another person does to you can affect your soul at all unless you allow it to. You have a choice in how things affect you. You don't have a complete choice in how things affect you in their entirety. You're going to feel some natural effect whenever something happens to you or something's said to you or something's done to you. You'll feel something, but that feeling is just sort of like when someone hits your, when the doctor hits your knee in the right place. It's, you, don't, you don't decide to kick. It's just a reflex. Things happen to us, and we just have a natural kind of reflex. But at that point, we have the ability to decide how things will affect us and how we will respond and what we will do with them, what we will learn from them. Or we can decide to give in to that reflex and just let it dominate us. You have a soul. And what other people do to your body can't touch your soul unless you allow it. But now what other people do to your body in terms of physical violence and even death, that can't touch your soul at all. Your soul survives the death of the body. Do not fear those who can kill your body but cannot kill your soul. A human being can't kill a soul. And so this is one reason, he says, why you shouldn't be afraid. Because the death of the body isn't the end of you. Your soul goes on. Here Jesus says, no amount of violence or destruction to your body can destroy your soul. And again, we're talking about eschatology. The survival of a soul after the death of the body. This is personal eschatology. This is like end time stuff of an individual person. Your earthly life is not the end of you, Christian. It's not the end of us. The soul continues. But then the second half of verse 28, that's cosmic eschatology. This is end times judgment stuff. This is, there is someone who decides what happens to souls. And there's someone who can do something to a soul. And that's the creator of a soul. That's God. God decides what happens to your soul. And he has the power to kill both bodies and souls. And on the last day, he will do that. You know that because of chapter 10, verse 15. Truly I say to you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for the town that rejects the message of the kingdom. What happened to Sodom and Gomorrah? Fire and brimstone, death of bodies. God can do that to bodies, and he can do that to souls. And that's why it says, fear him who can destroy both body and soul in hell. Jesus does not want you to fear mere mortals. He wants you to fear God and fear only God, the one who can put a body and a soul in hell. Now, if we just stop there, it would feel quite terrifying. You know how afraid you are of, of enemies who, like, want to kill your body? Like how bad that is? Imagine how bad God can kill. That's, that's what it sounds like. Imagine how fierce and ferocious and mighty and 
terrifying God is, who can kill bodies and souls in hell left and right. Just the note of, the note of fear really hangs on that at the end of that verse. But Jesus does not leave us hanging with that note of fear and dread over our heads. Because he goes on to say, not only should you fear God, but you should recognize that you have a fearsome father. Not a fearsome judge, condemner, tyrant, despot, dictator. You have a fearsome father. And that's the next note Jesus wants you to hear today. Verses 29 and 30. Are not two sparrows. I mean, this is a... (laughs) He just said, fear the one who can destroy your body and soul in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a couple of pennies? (laughs) You can almost feel Jesus' tone change. He wants you to feel the fear part, but then he... Then he softens it so beautifully. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. And then he says, fear not for the third time. Fear not, therefore. You are of more value than many sparrows. Oh, dear Christian, the fear of God is a topic that's not preached about enough. And fear of God is a serious doctrine, and the Bible means it seriously. But the Bible doesn't mean you to fear God the way you fear an enemy who wants to do violence to you and destroy you and crush and kill you. Yes, God can kill body and soul in hell, and yes, He will do to some on the last day. But you don't have to fear God the way you fear an enemy. You fear God as your heavenly Father, as this gentle Father who knows every bird on every limb. And when the bird flutters down to the ground, God sees that bird. He's interested. He's attentive. He's watching. His eye is on the sparrow. And I know He watches me. Every hair on your head is counted and tagged in the divine mind. It's this notion of he knows you so much more intimately. He doesn't count all the feathers on the birds. I mean, he could. He counts the tiniest detail about you. He's aware of it. He notices it. And you are of more value to him than truckloads of sparrows, of birds. You're precious to him. You're valuable to him. Not because you're so great, look at me, (laughs) but because he deems you to be an object of his love. He chooses us to be objects of his love when he doesn't have to. Objects of his grace and mercy when he doesn't have to. Maybe, Maybe even when he shouldn't because of our sin. But he bestows worth and value upon us he doesn't see it in us and then, and then go get us. He sees us unlovely and unworthy, and he imputes to us value and preciousness to him. And he adopts us into his family, and we become his children. 
you become his child. He becomes your heavenly father. And so the fear of God has to be balanced with the love of God as our heavenly father. Here Jesus is saying you should fear the one you love and you should fear the one who loves you. Hold him alone in such respect and such awe that you shudder at the thought that you might be unfaithful to him or mistreat him in any way. I, I was grasping for an illustration of this this week, and here's what I came up with. Let's see if it helps. Anyone in, is anyone in here an electrician? Okay, good. So you can't correct me. Perfect. So, just imagine, imagine there's an electrician, and he loves electricity. (laughs) He loves circuitry. He loves the physics of it. He likes all the terms and the math. (laughs) He likes going to people's houses and working with it and wiring stuff. Someone who just loves it, who just would do it for free, does it on his own time at home, (laughs) plays around with his light switches. I don't know. Someone who loves Electricity, who became an electrician, who loves like the jewels and ohms and watts and all those physics words for electricity. He loves it, okay? But when he's, but when he's like working on some, some electrical, you can tell I don't know what I'm talking about. And when he's working on his electricity stuff and he's working on some wiring or whatever, he doesn't just like jam his screwdriver into it and think, oh, isn't this fun? <laughs> right? He doesn't want to get shocked by it, okay? He's terrified of being you know, electrocuted to death. He, he respects the electricity enough to say, I'm not going to mess with this stuff. Oh, I love it. It's interesting. I want to work with it. But I'm not dumb enough to go stick my knife in an outlet. Right? He's going to take every precaution to be safe around electricity because it can fry you. It can harm you. It can destroy. Right? Right? And so, as much as he loves it, he has this very healthy respect and awe for it so that he doesn't mess with it. He doesn't cross it. He doesn't push it. He doesn't play fast and loose with it. He respects it. He has a kind of awe for it so that he doesn't transgress it. He plays by the rules that the electricity sets. <laughs> I'm not going to get shocked by this stuff. And so there's this, there's this odd love-fear dynamic in something like that. And we see this love-fear dynamic in a prayer in the Old Testament by Nehemiah. This is just a fascinating prayer. In Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 11, this is how he, this is how he prays. He says, O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant." And to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name. Isn't that interesting? Who delight to fear. Who enjoy fearing your name. Who are satisfied and pleased, delighted to fear you. And so it's both. The fear's real, but the delight's real. And so that's part of what we have to figure out is how do we delight to fear? There's love and there's awe because it's not just a father, it's a heavenly father. It's not just 
some governor, it's the Lord of all things who will destroy both body and soul in hell on the last day. So there's a way of respecting, not transgressing, wanting to honor and obey and be faithful to and loving it, loving to fear his name. This is something we should pray for. Lord, help me to, help me to figure out how to feel that in my discipleship, to love to fear you. To know that this is the killer of souls who loves every hair on my head. Your father, Christian, your father, bottom line, is both mighty and good. And he is for you. So have no fear of man, only fear God. God is your fearsome father who fights for you and loves you dearly. He's going to use all that body and soul, killing, hell, fire and brimstone stuff. He's going to use that not to crush you. He's going to use that power to love you perfectly forever. So have no fear in this great mission. Your Father is in control, and He is for you. Jesus ends where He began in verses 32 and 33. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. He ends with that last note of of warning of what it means to fear God. Don't deny Him. Don't deny Him. Be bold. Be brave. Be a fearless witness who only fears God who fears God enough never to deny him. This is how we will maintain this mission in the face of fearful odds. This is how we will endure to the end. By loving Jesus, trusting Jesus, counting it enough to be like him, both in his suffering and in his resurrection, fearing God above all, delighting to fear his name. These are the things we should pray for. These are the things we should be growing towards and building towards in our Christian maturity as disciples of Jesus. So let's pray and ask God to do this for us now. Pray with me. God, we do ask that you would do this work in our hearts and in our church, that you would make us brave and bold and strong witnesses for you, that you would truly help us to know what it's like down in our soul to delight, to fear your name, that you would help us to endure to the end, and to maintain this mission for the glory of Christ. We ask it in his name. Amen.